Once again, it's great to see all of you here today. So, Jeanette prayed for our pastoral search team, which uh, I pray for every day. <laughs> but I, I want you to know, it's, uh, we've been here now, what, 13 and a half months, and, uh, and I told the uh, FT way back when they were uh, asking me to do this that I would stay until we got a new pastor. So I normally think these things take about nine months to a year. But, of course, this is taking a little bit longer. But I know they're hard at work, and they're focusing on someone, and that's awesome. But I just want you to know that in the meantime, um, Sherry and I are fully invested in this church and in your lives. And anything we can do to bless you and minister to you, we are, we are more than ready to do that. <clears throat> so this morning we begin uh, uh, our week number three in our series, My Ebenezer. Last week, uh, we discovered that Samuel set up a pile of stones to help the children of Israel remember, that's a key word throughout this series, remember that God has been active in their lives and that he has been alert to their needs and desires. And Ebenezer is a stone of help. And a reminder that God will be faithful to his promises when he says, I promise you, I will restore you. I promise I will forgive you, I will guide you, I will redeem you, I will never let you go. A stone of remembrance. A modern day equivalent of that is what we would call a trail cairn. And those of you that are hikers, Pastor David was a big time hiker, and he would see these often. And it's usually places where there's not a real clear trail, but these cairns are placed there for people who have gone before, kind of blaze the trail, a hiker that's gone before, and it indicates the fact that, okay, this is the right direction. Uh, you're on the right path. And sometimes people will add another stone to that to kind of you know, say, yep, this is it, this is the right way. And when we're looking at these Ebenezers, we are looking at the same thing. This is the path. This is the way that God wants us to go. Uh, this is the way that we are going to find redemption and joy and truth and eternity. All of these things are going to be found on these trails. My Ebenezer. So the last two Sundays, we've looked at two Ebenezers, the Stones of Remembrance. The first one, two weeks ago, was the Bible is God's Word. It's our guide. It gives us the pathway, and it tells us how to stay on that pathway, and it leads us to purpose and significance. Follow this path, right? And then last week, we talked about what it means to be part of a community of faith, God's people, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Peter says it this way, that we are living stones, right? We are connected to each other as we are connected to what? The cornerstone, right? Who is Jesus Christ. We are connected to each other as we are connected to Jesus. And I made that confession last Sunday to you that uh, we need each other, and I'll say it very personally. I confess that I need you uh, to walk with me, to work with me, to watch out for me, to watch my back, a paraclete, someone who watches your back, right? To weep with me and to witness with me. This path that we are on towards the kingdom of God is not a path that we walk alone. So the first two stones of remembrance, remember the word of God and remember to connect to other believers. Today, remember to grow, to be strengthened. This is similar to what Sherry did at her retreat yesterday for the ladies. 
to grow, to be strengthened, to build up your spiritual muscles, right? Uh, there's uh, this machine at the gym I go to. It's a, um, uh, it's a uh, machine for uh, building up uh, your biceps, right? So it's a bicep machine, and I set it on a pretty heavy level because I'm pretty strong, and so I'm, you know, 100 pounds, I'm grunting it out. And I notice another guy, twice my size, at least muscle-wise, and he comes up, and uh, he uses the same amount of weights that I did. And I thought, wow, I must be pretty strong. And then I realized he was using one arm at a time, you know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We need, but we need to build up our spiritual muscles, right? We need to... Understand what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, to, be co- to keep focused on that, and to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So um, there's a preacher who had a boy, and by the way, I've got a story about this that's a true story with my son Nathan, I'll tell you sometime. But this uh, preacher uh, asked his son, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the father said, well, I was a little surprised when my son suddenly announced one day after church, I'm thinking of becoming a pastor when I grow up. Well, I asked him, why is that? Well, I figure I have to go to church on Sundays anyway, and I think it'll be more fun to stand up and yell at people than to sit down and listen, okay? So it is, by the way, it is more fun to do it that way. So uh, back at Christmas time, uh, we talked about uh, the Peter Pan syndrome, uh, Peter Pandemonium, which is what? The failure to grow up. We don't want that as Christ followers. We want to grow up into Christ. And spiritual growth is not so much about doing as it is about becoming, becoming more like Jesus, to love the things that he loves more, to hate the things that he hates more. It's a hard thing. It's about our hearts, that we want to love our spouses, of course, our parents, our children, our grandparents, our friends, unbelievers, red-blue enemies, all of these things, we want to love them through the eyes of our heart. If we can start seeing people the way Jesus sees people, it changes everything. So we want to build relationship with God, and we're not talking about religion. So what does it look like to take one step closer to Jesus? That's a question I've been asking for years. That's a question that Pastor Dave asked you frequently. What does it look like for you, right here, right now, in this place, what does it look like for you to take one step closer to Jesus? Now, there's a whole spectrum of faith, right, from an atheist to a fully devoted follower of Christ. And no matter where you are on that spectrum, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad if some people are here or some people that are listening that still haven't decided that they want to take that leap of faith. I understand that, and we respect that. But what does it mean for you, for each one of you, to take one step closer to Jesus? So growth is about recognizing where you are now and deciding where you want to be on the path, right? Where you want to go, taking steps towards that goal. So, Let's get specific. What does it mean to grow in our faith? There's two parts to this. The first part is the what, uh, or the how, excuse me. How do I grow? And we'll look at that in just a moment. The second part of this is even more important, and that's talking about having a heart of faith and a heart of growth, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the first thing is the how. And I think it's really practical and it's really important for us to analyze how we can grow 
in our faith. So to help you remember, um, we have sermon notes for the people of the outdoor service, and you can pick up a copy afterwards if you want, or just follow along. It's all, also, by the way, it's always online. You can always find the sermon notes online. But we're going to do an acrostic, right? G-R-O-W. Grow. God's Word, Relationships, Obedient Living, and Worship. Okay? The first is God's Word. Now, we looked at this two weeks ago, the importance of uh, the Bible, and we looked at whether or not the Bible is reliable whether or not it is authentic. And we kind of did some, in my view, scientific work around that. But really, more than is it reliable, what we want to know is if it can have an impact on our lives. How do we go deeper with Jesus by the Word of God? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to these words. For the Word of God is alive. That word means God-breathed. And powerful, that word comes from the word dynamite. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So I want to do just a little bit of teaching for a moment around the word, word, okay? So the word that you hear about most commonly in the New Testament about the word is the word logos, And what logos means basically is this, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) This is what God says, okay? We have a lot of that in scriptures. We have a lot of God's quotes in scripture that thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says. And that is a logos for all of us, for all time, for all people, for all situations. That is God's general word to you and to me, okay? So that's really important. But more importantly than that is another word that's used throughout the New Testament, and that word is kairos, or excuse me, ramos, ramos. And that is a specific, precise word for you. So uh, our first, I think it was our first Sunday outdoors, maybe three weeks ago or four weeks ago, uh, after the service, uh, a new person that I'd never met before, he was, it was his first time here, he came up to me, he said, he said uh, Pastor, uh, that, that, that word really kicked my butt. He said, in a good way. Okay, I was glad to hear that last part. And, and, and we talked about it for a few months, and basically what he said was this, that that word for him was a Ramos. It was for him, for his heart, in that moment, through his ears, that was a word for him. A specific, precise word for you. Now, some of you, on a regular basis, when you're reading the word, when you're listening to a message, when you're listening to a tape, you feel it. You know it. You stop and you say, that was for me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in our staff meeting, uh, we meet on, uh, on Wednesday mornings. Um, uh, after we read the scripture, and I had each person share about what we read, uh, Mel said this. She said, that, that, that hit me. That hit me right between the eyes. What she was saying was that that word in that moment was a ramos for her. A specific, precise word for you. Do you know why? Because God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows what you need. He knows your sins. He knows your private thoughts. He knows your joys. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you live, right? He knows you. And that word is like that knife, that sword that is piercing the heart. Sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it brings great, great 
comfort. That word spoke to me. It cut to my heart. It was a ramos. Now, it's especially true, I believe, in times of hardship or weakness or despair. Because, let's be honest, and most of us here are veteran Christ followers. Um, but this is a time when we're down where the enemy whispers in our ear, right? And that's where we have to be very careful and make sure that we hear that ramos. So the enemy might say something like this. You know, you're no good. You're not worthy. You don't matter. But a ramos in that moment, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. The enemy might say, you know what? You really aren't capable. You can't do this. You, you can't win this. The scripture says, uh, specific Ramos, 1 John 4, 4, for greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The enemy says, you know what, you're all alone. You're unloved. Your life doesn't matter. That Ramos for you is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The enemy says, if you doubt your salvation, that's because you're really not a follower of Jesus. No, the Lord says, at a Ramos for you, he who has the Son has life. A precise, specific word of God for you that pierces the enemy and it opens our hearts. I wonder how many times you've experienced that kind of a Ramos. Uh, in the text, in that specific text that I read, it says that we have a complete and perfect fit with the word of God. It's a fit. It uh, shapes itself for us. So uh, several years ago, um, I bought some furniture at Ikea. No, no, <laughs> never again. I don't care how good their meatballs are. I'm not going back there. <laughs> so Ikea, you know, it was a TV stand. You know, in 107 easy steps, you know, you can have this thing put together. I've got a degree in mechanical design engineering, and I couldn't figure this thing out. And finally, I just told you, I said, I just need a bigger hammer. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make this thing fit whether it does or not. Well, when you have a Ramos, when God speaks to you through a Ramos, through a word like that, it is the perfect fit for you, for your heart in that moment. You want to grow? Those are the words you want to watch for, a Ramos. Now, the second part of our grow acrostic is relationships, are. To have healthy and effective spiritual growth, we need each other. That's what Sherry talked about yesterday in the women's retreat. We need relationships. Now, those of you who are in the medical community have heard this word often called marasmus. Marasmus is a form of malnutrition that you see in babies and especially in third world countries. But marasmus has also a, an emotional part to it. It's babies that don't receive the physical touch and love and caressing that they need to become healthy. So many Christians are like Lone Ranger Christians, and they don't receive the care. I know we can't touch each other very well, and we can't hug each other very well, but we can still do that by our spirits when we see each other, and we offer words. Sherry was telling me some things that they learned in the, she learned in her small group yesterday about how people in this church have cared for each other, um, how Michelle cared for Mita when they had both lost their husband. Just an incredible story. Ask her sometime. But the idea that we need each other because that, if we don't, otherwise we have that spiritual marasmus. We don't have life abundantly. 
It's life-giving. So for Sherry and I, this last year, especially until we started meeting again, uh, the worship team was kind of like our small group, and they've become very important to us, and they're very close friends. And these relationships are life-giving. But there are also two others in our church that, and it's partly because I've spent a lot of time with them for ministry reasons, but also partly just because we have these common goals. And that's uh, Rod Peterson, our former chairman, uh, and also Charlie Lahardy. Uh, These two men have this vision of what God wants for this church that I share with them. And and when you have that shared vision and that camaraderie and that life with Jesus, it's just so, so special. Proverbs 27, 7 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens as a friend. Relationships. G-R-O, obedient living. Radical obedience. Now, I'm not talking about a list of do's and don'ts. When you hear the word radical obedience, you think, oh, okay, there's a list, you know. Uh, I got the Ten Commandments, got the Ten. Out of the Ten Commandments, the Midrash tells us there's 612, uh, uh, you know, other laws that come out of the Ten Commandments, and then thousands and thousands. No, no, I'm not talking about do's and don'ts. We're talking about being in love with Jesus in such a way that our desire is to obey him. Our, you know, Jesus, I love Jesus so much. I, I'm not conflicted about whether I should be baptized or not, right? I love Jesus. He says, be baptized, so I'm going to be baptized. That's what I'm talking about, this kind of obedient living, this radical obedience. Listen to what the scripture says. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good and what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy. That means to embrace mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6 Eight. Obedient living is doing what's right, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. G-R-O-W, worship. The word worship uh, from the Greek is liturgia. You've heard me tell you that before. Liturgia means the work of the people. Worship is us telling God what we think about him. It's in my spirit telling my heavenly father how much I love him and appreciate him. There's an old uh, song back in the 80s, Heavenly Father, I Appreciate You. Anybody remember that song? That's an old timer, right? And, uh, and, uh, and th- there was something so beautiful about just simply saying that. Father, I appreciate what you do for me. I appreciate who you are. God is the one that should receive our attention. Sometimes you say, well, the things that we care about, that's what we pay attention to. And we need to pay attention to God. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, when you think of God, think magnificently of God. You know, think about God in all his magnificence and his wonder. First Chronicles 16, 29, give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. And throughout the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, it's always about shouting our praise to the Lord. A part of worship is literally God shouting to us, I love you, I redeem you, I forgive you, and us shouting back, thank you, we love you too. That's what worship is about, loving each other and shouting to God how much we love him. So that's how to grow God's word, especially the Ramos. Relationships that matter. Radical obedience and worship. Now, to help us understand what it means in a deeply personal way for me, 
an even more important thing than the how, and I hope the how is helpful to you, is what, how can we obtain a heart of growth, a desire to grow? And for me, that looks like hungering for his presence. 1 Peter 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babies crave or desire the pure spiritual milk of the word so that it may that it may grow up in your salvation, that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Once you have been in the presence of Jesus and you have tasted what it's like to be in Jesus, nothing the world has to offer will ever be enough. Even fresh king salmon or halibut on, with a little butter... Even that's not enough. So here's the question from our text this morning. What do you hunger and thirst for? What have you come to believe will satisfy you? What is it that you believe that you cannot live without? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, the, the occasion when Jesus spoke these words was the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So Jesus had been um, teaching and preaching and healing and being with his disciples. And uh, so they gathered, and uh, people were following Jesus all over the place. Well, it just hap- so happened to be that enough people gathered where they were at this kind of small mountain, and uh, there were literally thousands of people that were gathered there. And Jesus decided, okay, this would be a really cool time to really explain what the kingdom of God is about, okay? Because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people think that I'm just kind of a, you know, a magician, that I do magic tricks, I heal people, and I do fun things, you know, and change water into wine and stuff like that. Jesus said, I I need to let these people know what the kingdom of God is all about. And so he told the disciples, okay, let's, let's stop here. Five, the Bible says 5,000 people were gathered in uh, the, the Bible. They only counted men. So uh, there was probably at least 12,000, maybe more, including women and children. So it's a huge group of people. And I'm sure the disciples felt something like this. Okay, this is awesome. We now have an opportunity to do what we've been wanting to do, right? And that's to kind of take charge, right? And so I can see them like, you know, like, uh, uh, what was the guy that painted his face blue? Oh, sure, Braveheart. You know, he painted their faces blue. And okay, we're going to go. And, and Judas, who was a zealot and also, you know, a, a very political figure, uh, he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Well, so did the other disciples. I'm not saying they didn't want that. They, they thought, well, no, Jesus wants more than that. But they said, okay, this is an opportunity to get this crowd of people fired up and we can overtake uh, the Roman government, right? The, op- the oppression of the Romans and the obstruction and the objection of the Jews, we can deal with that right here, right now. Jesus, let's, let's, we need your best speech, okay? We need your hottest speech, the thing that's get these people wired up. And so everybody's all fired up, and they're ready, and Jesus steps up to start talking, and he says stuff like this. Okay, happy are the broken in spirit. Happy are the merciful. And they're going, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> Are you trying to bum us out, right? You know, this is an opportunity to get fired up and to overtake Rome, right? No, blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that thirst after righteousness. And what Jesus did in that moment is redefine power 
redefine significance. Redefine the kingdom from the kingdom of man to the kingdom of God. The people, and especially the disciples, they were hungry for victory. I'd rather taste victory over Rome, I'm sure they thought. And Jesus said to that, I am the bread of life. Well, we want freedom from this obstruction of the Jews and this overwhelming oppression of the Romans. Jesus said, I have come to set you free from the power of sin. We want power, right? We've got this momentum. We've got this great movement. We've got something here. And Jesus said, not by your power, but by my spirit. What do you hunger for? We did an eight-week series on Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you want life that is abundant and exciting, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You want eternal life? You want resurrection from the dead? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Of all the things that we hunger for, freedom, purpose, truth, power, eternal life, Jesus says to all of that, I am it. I am it. Not something, not something to do, not, but I am it. You want that life? You find it in me. So in a few weeks, uh, Easter will be here. And one of the great stories of Easter is uh, after the resurrection, uh, there were two men walking on the road to Emmaus and uh, Jesus just joins them. And it's obvious they didn't recognize him, even though he had, he had this, his renewed body. And it tells us something about what our renewed bodies will look like. They'll look good, right? And maybe not even that recognizable. I think that means that we won't all look like we're 72, like me, but maybe we'll look like we're 25. I don't know. I have no idea. But they're walking. Jesus joins them up. He speaks the word of God to them. And then you remember what they said? Were not our hearts, what? Burning when we heard this man speak from the scriptures. It's about the heart. It's about the presence of the spirit of God in our hearts that causes us to want, to long for, to desire, to need Jesus. So uh, a few years ago, well, actually last week, um, Sherry and I went up to Cave Creek for our great niece's birthday party. Her name's Alice, Allie. And she's 11 years old. And it reminded me, I told everybody the story that some of them had forgotten that years ago when she was like five or six years old, we were, uh, on New Year's Day, we were at uh, a resort in San Diego and all our family was gathered there. And all the kids were out in one area, and some of the parents. I was in another area watching football. There's a surprise. Uh, trying to be separate from all the rowdiness. And after a few months, Allie comes walking in. She's like five or six years old. She sits down to me. She says, Uncle D, I got in trouble. I said, oh, really? What happened? Well, I said something mean to my sister. Okay. Okay. Well, Allie, what do you think you ought to do about it? She said, well, I'm not sure. But she said, but my heart hurts. There's a five-year-old little girl. My heart hurts. Don't you all wish we had those five-year-old hearts back again? We could feel things so deeply. We could feel the presence of Jesus. We could feel our heart hurt when we do something wrong, when we sin against God. We feel our hearts rejoice when God is just filling us with his presence and his purpose. See, Jesus is saying, if you are hungry, if you are thirsty, I will be your bread and I will be your drink. A passion 
for his presence. Now, I assume that we all believe and understand that every person experiences hunger and thirst in life, not just physically, but a hunger in the soul for meaning, for value, for belonging, for purpose, for love. Everyone has deep desires, deep longings. The difference in our world is not that some are hungry and some are not. The difference is what it is we hunger for. I mean, we're all hungry. This is true for a homeless man or the CEO of Intel. This is true for a prostitute on Van Buren Street or a housewife in Oro Valley. This is true for a starving child in a third world country or a President Joe Biden. What separates us is not hunger, but what we hunger for. The prophet Amos in the Old Testament tells people that they pant after the dust of the earth. Satisfied with the dust of the earth, which does not satisfy Amos 8.11 says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Isaiah said it this way, When you feel that hunger, when you're hungering for that which is not bread and that which does not satisfy, there is an emptiness in your soul. These things that we have come to believe will satisfy us, status, education, Family, religion, sex, prosperity, dust. Only Jesus satisfies. One of the great stories in the Bible, as you all know, is um, in John chapter 4, Jesus uh, and the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, Jesus had no business talking to her, doing anything near her, but he didn't go by traditions and by what was right and wrong in society. He stood there. And he loved her. She was hungry. She was thirsty for physical love and care and security, acceptance. She was involved in an inappropriate sexual relationship. She'd had five husbands. Her last husband she was not married to. Her last man she was not married to. Jesus looked directly at her heart. I'm sure, like Alice, her heart hurt. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will, listen, never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water. Do you want your thirst quenched? Do you want your hunger satisfied? Matthew 5, 6, once again, you are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Matthew 5, 6 in the message. Is he enough? Can you really be satisfied with him, with his presence? Francis Chan says this in one of his books. He said, let's say you have everything that heaven has to offer. No pain, no brokenness, perfect family, perfect relationships, no money problems, perfect food, you know, salmon, halibut, everything. And then he asked this question, if you had all of that, all that heaven has to offer, would you be satisfied with that if Jesus were not there? I think many of us in honesty would say, yeah, because that's kind of what I'm depending on is all that stuff, right? Is he your source, your life? Or is it just what he can provide? Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. 
and the power of his resurrection. Nothing else satisfies. Would you pray with me? Father, um, there's so many things in this world that are satisfying. So many things that um, we love, we enjoy, that you've given to us to enjoy. We smile, we laugh. Uh, There's all kinds of wonderful things in this world, but Father, you've told us that if we want to satisfy that, that spiritual hunger, that, that spiritual thirst, that heart that hurts, that Lord, you said only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can satisfy that. So Father, my prayer for our congregation today and for all those who are watching that they would simply say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be enough. I want you to be enough. I still want to enjoy all the things that you provide, but I want you to be enough. I want you to be all and in all for me. Thank you that there is nothing that we can have that satisfies like Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.